welcome to Grant Thorne's Risk and Regulation Unraveled podcast, our monthly ramble through the exciting world of financial services regulation. Uh, my name is David Moy and I'm joined by my colleague as ever, Ben Farmer. Say hi, Ben. Hello, I'm David. Um, and we have had quite a busy month, actually. Um, uh, I guess the, the headline uh, event, oh no, it's, it's quite hard to choose. The, there, there were several headlines events. One headline um, is the release of the FCA business plan, which I know you've been looking at. Do, do, do you want to... Give us a, a quick flavour there. Yes, and it will be a quick flavour because there is a separate podcast dealing just with the business plan. Uh, but the sort of 30 second version is in terms of what the regulator is going to be doing over the next year or so. There's frankly a lot of overlap with the regulatory initiatives grid. Uh, what's a bit more interesting in the business plan is the details of how the regulator is going to do it. Uh, particularly how the FCA is trying to kind of structure and resource itself internally to supervise firms to make sure that firms actually deliver the various initiatives set out in the grid. Uh, And it gives a few clues as to the FCA's relative prioritisation amongst those initiatives. Um, David, did you have any particular thoughts on that? Uh, I, I won't steal the thunder from, from the other from the other podcast, particularly uh, particularly as, as we're in it. So. Um... Uh, it's an excellent podcast. Um, but uh, I think if there was one thing or maybe one and a half things I, I would pull out from, from my read of the business plan, it's in, in relation to consumer duty. That's not a surprise. It's one of the priorities. Um, it, 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 it actually uses the phrase repeatedly, uh, consumer duty and cost of living. So um, it's repackaging somewhat uh, compared to earlier communications that, 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 that consumer duty is the FCA's intervention um, that will support um, a, a favourable response to the cost of living crisis. So even though the cost, the consumer duty predated the cost of living crisis that we're, we're currently experiencing, it's it's essentially the tool that the FCA envisages using to um, steer firms uh, to, towards um, facilitating good outcomes for, for customers in financial difficulties. Um, so that was a, that was an interesting. Um, spin uh, if i can use that word um uh, but related to that also uh, and maybe this is the single most uh, uh, interesting takeaway for me um it, it, the plan talks about an immediate day one budget for enforcement in relation to the consumer duty so a clear expectation there a clear signal that they will be using enforcement uh, as an intervention in relation to the consumer duty now that might actually just be consumer duties a sort of handy lever to 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 go after you know existing sort of legacy poor practices um rather than you know maybe going after firms that just haven't done a great job of of, of the mechanics of the consumer duty implementation but it, it, time will tell but but in, in any in any event it looks like they will be uh wrapping up the consumer duty and enforcement action from 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 as it says day one yeah clearly Clearly not much of a grace period on that. Um, the other thing that was in there, obviously, being a business plan, it inevitably touches on budgets, specifically on the FCA's budget, uh, which is increasing, which is hardly a surprise given the amount of extra activity they're taking on consumer duty coming in, amongst many other things. Uh, but they are sort of recognising the financial pressure that regulated firms are under and are trying to do their bit to mitigate it where they can. So they are keeping the proposed fee increases below inflation. And the FCA is also freezing minimum fees, fixed rate fees and application fees just to help try and take the worst of the sting out of the budget increase. I think that news will be welcome. 
Um, obviously, as, as, as is normal, the, the fees consultation goes out at the same time. So um, there's a, the inevitably double in the detail in terms of how particular industry um, sectors are impacted by, by fees. But uh, yeah, a headline level, it looks like they're trying to trying to resist um, ramping fees up at this point. Um, so yes, uh, uh, as Ben says, uh, we have another podcast uh, going out on the business plan, which gives uh, quite a bit more detail. Um, uh, in other sort of top news, I said there was more than one thing there, and, and um, clearly one of the uh, major events of the last uh, few weeks has been the well, there were, there were two fewer banks in the world. I think uh, would be the way I'd headline that. So uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse. Um, uh, now, in terms of the UK regulatory response and and, and the level of activity that the, the UK regulators um, uh, undertook, I think Silicon Valley is in a, in, a, in a different place to uh, Credit Suisse. So most of the uh, most of the action in on Credit Suisse took place in Switzerland. Obviously, the the more or less enforced marriage with UBS. Um, uh, so there's probably not that much to say about the UK regulatory response specifically on on those events. There is a bit more to say, about, I think, about the, the Silicon Valley Bank because there was obviously a facilitated sale, a very, very quick sale of the UK entity to um, HSBC in the end, uh, with, with, the, with the Bank of England being extremely active. And, and I think they've, uh, I wouldn't say they've been taking a victory lap, but <laughs> I think they've been, they've been, uh, they've been trying to draw, uh, and not unreasonably, I think there's some positives out of out of the um, the, the, the events um, two, on two levels. I'd say one one was one is that um, the UK arm of SBB seems to have been pretty well capitalised. You know the, the interest rate risk issues that seem to have taken down or led, led to led to led to issues in in, in the US parent. Obviously, that that's all cascaded into sort of a, a run on deposits and things, but but some of those in the interest rate risk exposures um, don't seem to affect the UK entities. It was better capitalised to absorb those, um, and um, the Bank of England, I think, is, is, thinks it's, it did a pretty good job of um, what's the phrase they use for yeah dealing with a bank that went from health to death to death to quote Andrew Bailey health to death <clears throat> in an in extremely short space of time that that they they helped facilitate. Um, the negotiations between actually quite a few buyers actually I think there was quite a lot of interest in, in it which, which probably reflects again that it was it, the UK entity was was pretty well capitalized um, relatively speaking um, so so they obviously helped facilitate that happening very quickly. Um, the takeaways for future regulation I guess that's the second dimension after the victory lap is finished um, are those kind of things that, that, that seem to be being talked about and I'm thinking here the the evidence Andrew Bailey and others gave to Sandwoods gave a, uh, to the Treasury Select Committee. Um, so the speed of the run on deposits SVP, i.e., just the rate at which those deposits got run down. I guess I guess it's a you know a reflection of uh, a reflection of everyone. It's certainly commercial customers' um, responsiveness to to bad news and. Um, and and uh, and reported issues issues in the press um, is that they can get their deposits out at the banks pretty quickly these days, and that happened to SVP. Um, so there was some sense. Um, my reading is that there's a view there that uh, the, the liquidity coverage ratio, i.e., how much liquidity a bank, SVP, or others need to hold in order to deal with customer uh, withdrawals, uh, may need looking at, um, may need to increase. I guess would be the obvious. The obvious uh, takeaway there. So, so there will undoubtedly be 
some tweaks to the regulatory regime, but I think in the round, the sense is the UK's existing rules did a okay job, an okay job there. Um, so yes, so that, that those were lots of uh, heavy, heavy, heavy news events, um, uh, but uh, um, the, there'll be a longer burn in terms of any sort of regulatory changes that flow from that. Um, and you, Ben, you've been looking at the Financial Services and Markets Bill, which has been um, bouncing around between the Lords and the Commons. Yes, so the, the latest sort of line by line review of it has come back from the various Lords committees who have been going through. Uh, there's been a selection of proposed amendments from the Lords, which, as usual, range from the things that seem sensible to the slightly bizarre looking pet projects of individual peers. Um, <laughs> We probably won't spend too long on this right now because clearly being uh, the Lords Committees, it now goes back to the Commons and may or may not actually make it anywhere near becoming law in the end. I think our suspicion is quite a lot of it probably will get thrown out and therefore won't make the law. But there are a few interesting looking themes to pull out of it. Um, there seem to be a few attempts to almost reverse or slow down things that are already in train or planned. So there's a uh, suggested, there's a suggested amendment that prevents the Bank of England from issuing any digital currency without being specifically authorised to do so by an Act of Parliament, which would clearly throw a bit of a spanner into the digital pound work that already seems to be underway. Uh, similarly, there are suggestions amongst the wider area of reforms of updating the ring fencing regime or the senior managers regime, and there were suggested amendments to protect both of those, basically saying that neither of them could be withdrawn or amended again, without an Act of Parliament. Uh, an attempt to revisit the uh, private right of action under the consumer duty, a suggestion of giving small, medium enterprise customers a right of action against the FCA for any, sorry, against firms for any FCA handbook breach. Uh, there was a suggestion of a right of action against the regulators for regulatory failures to let people get redress. Um, a suggestion that in certain circumstances where there are the risk of unintended consequences that the FCA be allowed to overrule individual FOS decisions, uh, which is a very interesting one from a sort of independence perspective, I think. Um, and as seems to be the way with any sort of high level strategic financial markets initiatives at the moment, a whole range of ESG and particularly environmental suggestions, uh, particularly a suggestion to make selling or offering or agreeing to sell climate and nature offsets a regulated activity under FISMA. Hmm. Uh, yes, you're right. Those are uh, there's some interesting stuff there, some quite important stuff. But but, but yes, I'm guessing I'm guessing this is back with HM Treasury to take a view on whether they want to support any of these amendments. My my guess is, and I think they've already indicated that some of them are dead about dead on arrival. Um, obviously, the Commons ultimately has the power to to overrule uh, the the uh, the Lords amendments. So. Uh, yeah, we will we will return to this subject. As, well, obviously, you know, we'll return to the subject of the financial services and markets bill when it becomes law, because um, obviously we'll have final uh, final legislation to talk about then. But but we'll also, uh, if any of these um, amendments do make it into the final into the final act, then we'll undoubtedly be um, be talking about them again. Um, talking in Parliament, of course, uh, uh, the Chancellor got up to give the spring budget. <clears throat> um, this is obviously not a tax podcast, um, uh, uh, which is probably just as well, since um, it's not a subject I understand well, but um, the um, 
uh, I, there are, uh, and I'm reflecting back on on the day that George Osborne stood up and, and announced pension freedoms back in 2015, and the uh, the amount of activity in the wealth management sector, and then subsequent FCA uh, involvement in in some of the carnage that ensued. Um, I think uh, we may see a sort of mini version of that um, because the Chancellor uh, announced some quite significant changes to the, the pension rules around lifetime allowances, um, essentially increasing the amount that, that people can put into their pensions without uh, facing sort of uh, punitive tax uh, consequences. And um, that undoubtedly has opened the window for another burst of wealth manager activity to sort of get, get investment <laughs> into pensions. Um, um, and and uh, the FCA will probably need to look very carefully at, at, at some of that. Um, I suppose it's uh, it's in, it's an odd one in a way because everyone's expectation is that we'll soon have a Labour government and they'll reverse, reverse those changes. So what we have essentially is this window of opportunity um, for people to put money into their pension schemes, um, at, which will be closed, and uh, uh, that will probably lead to a. a uh, an even greater frenzy of activity than might otherwise be the case. Um, so I'm expecting, therefore, ultimately around the subject of pension investment and investment advice that, that, that the FCA are going to have to um, take some kind of supervisory action there to make sure uh, the market is behaving itself. Um, I suppose the other, other, other thing I've popped in the headline, uh, actually, uh, albeit it, it, it won't take us long to talk about it, is that um, and, and, you, and you, you mentioned you mentioned with, with the amendments, Lord's amendments. One of those amendments would have made it more difficult to change the SMCR regime, the Senior Managers and Certification regime. Um, in the meantime, um, there's been a, a, a joint discussion paper on the PI and the FCA, uh, DP 123, on the Senior Managers and Certification regime. So it's like the the, the, fight, the opening gun for for changing those rules. Um, it won't take long to talk about the discussion paper, will it, Ben? Because it's basically it's 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 much more question and answer, isn't it? It's it's mainly a call for input more than a yes. set of proposals from the regulators. I think at this point, that's exactly right. It, it basically sets out here are the existing rules. Question: Do they work? Obviously, repeating that question: Do you have any? Do you do you propose any changes? So so there is literally nothing there around direction of travel. Um, interesting to be some news reports. Uh, um, I don't know how accurate they are, but that the the, um, the things that are most likely to be on the table are a winding back of the certification elements of SMCR. So obviously, you know, top, top senior management getting individually authorised, that on the basis of these news reports would stay, but the requirement of firms to have this you know, potentially onerous internal process to certify large numbers of staff on an annual basis, that may be wound back or, or, or slimmed down, which um, might be uh, appreciated. Um, and uh, also uh, reports that, that they may, um, for the senior manager level at least, make it easier to, to sort of grandfather people in from other regulatory regimes. So again, I think this is a part of them, you know, making the UK a, an attractive place for financial services firms to operate. Uh, if someone's got relevant experience in Germany or somewhere like that, then then, then they can be, uh, they can get uh, move through the authorization process in the UK more easily than is currently the case. Um, so we'll, we'll see if those news reports are, are, are spot on or not, but that looks like uh, looks like the, uh, the, the the most insightful things we've heard so far. Um, uh, in other news, uh, so we've had finalised guidance 23 slash 2 
which is cost of living related and it's focused on treatment of mortgage borrowers isn't it Ben you've, you've had a look at that yes it is so the FCA with its continuing focus on the cost of living crisis has identified clearly a need for finalised guidance in this area because the FCA uh, had already estimated in June 2022 that there were 200,000 mortgage borrowers behind on their payments at that point. Uh, the FCA's latest research anticipates that by the end of June 2024, there could be another 356,000 borrowers in payment difficulties on top of that. Uh, so against that backdrop, the FCA has released its finalised guidance for firms supporting their existing mortgage borrowers impacted by the rising cost of living. Uh, the guidance basically sets out details of how firms should apply much of the tailored support guidance that was issued during the COVID pandemic in March 2021. Uh, it includes particular guidance on uh, providing forbearance, including doing this at scale rather than just at the individual customer level. Um, and as so this is finalised guidance now, this is no longer under consultation. It's been previously consulted on. There's only very minor changes from the draft guidance. But again, the, the latest in what is now, I think, becoming a theme of the FCA taking the sort of short term financial impact of the pandemic guidance that was issued, giving it a bit of a refresh and update to align it to the consumer duty and to make it work in a more, a kind of broader financial difficulties context rather than a specific pandemic related financial difficulties. And then making it become in some way permanent, whether that's in some sectors, we've seen handbook guidance, here we've got non-handbook finalised guidance and so on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, interesting. I know there's, there's uh, um, content in the uh, business plan um, which talks about uh, looking at guidance in, in, in other areas of uh, um, lending, which are uh, which are where customers are in financial difficulties. So, um, I know we've talked before, spoken before about you know, the extent to which the the material we're seeing around mortgages is is, is becomes becomes more widely uh, more widely spread in terms of other uh, areas of the um, financial services marketplace. Um, so watch this space. Um, other things that've been issued. Uh, so there's been a feedback. Uh, on supervisory work on investment firms in relation to the new investment, I say new investment firm prudential regime. So the rules changed 1st of January a year ago. So we're about 15, 16 months into that. Um, uh, there's, there's a fair amount of detailed content there, which 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 I, I, I won't dwell on. Um, I think the headlines uh, are, are, are from that feedback are that um, this is meant to be a regime where um, the firm's own assessment of its risks the quantification of those risks, so how much capital and liquidity do we do we need to hold in order to be resilient, given given our specific risk profile? That there's fairly mixed feedback in terms of how well that's been done. Um, if some firms are not considering the full range of risks, or they're they're evaluating them in a very in a very um, um, inferior um, inferior way. Um, so uh, the expectation there that uh, future super supervisory activity will take place to try and raise the bar. Um, I think the other big takeaway for me is um, the amount of um, coverage in that feedback that relates specifically to the, the exercise of wind down planning. 
Um, so, you know, within those capital rules, there's, there's an expectation or a particular requirement that, that the firm should, should have a, 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 a plausible, effective wind down plan in place so that should it should it, re, uh, should it be under stress, it, it can um, trigger the wind down plan and wind down in an orderly way, you know, so customers and, and other counterparties, et cetera, are not impacted. So um, so there's a very strong emphasis there that, that, that the SEA don't think that a lot, a lot of wind down plans are not really very good. Um, and um, I think there's going to be more activity there super, from a supervisory point of view. Um, uh, and, and I think much of the investment firm sector is probably going to need to review its uh, its wind down plans and potentially upgrade them um uh that um that the bar there is definitely higher than it, than it used to be um presumably the subtext here is against the wider economic context context the fca is getting worried that more firms than we've seen recently might have to start using those wind down plans yes and what of course it's interesting i mean within Within the FCA regulated perimeter, so I'm not, I'm not talking about PRA insurers and banks, but within the, the thousands and thousands of firms the FCA supervises, there are the, 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 only certain sectors are subject to a formal wind down planning requirement, um, and, and the majority of firms aren't actually. But the FCA produced guidance, it finalised guidance, have produced thematic review feedback, etc., which you know is is not limited to to those um, to those. Um, uh, those those sectors where there's a specific requirement to have a wind down plan, i.e., I think from the FCA's perspective, it's just good business practice, and from a guidance point of view, you know, all firms should have uh, considered uh, a wind down plan. Um, and um, I, I would not therefore surprise me to, to 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 see firms that have not historically had a wind down plan don't theoretically need a wind down plan, at least not in terms of hard rules. Um, but they might end up getting questions about, you know, their wind down preparedness as part of a broader financial resilience um, Q&A. So wind down planning, it's a thing. Um, the uh, uh, announcements dropped that two FCA, um, uh, two FCA consultations that relate to investment firms, again, in, in a broader sense, are being um, delayed, i.e. it'll be longer before final rules come out. So one of those is the what was the proposed sustainability disclosures regime, which is complied to UK funds, the basically the labelling of those, those 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 funds in terms of their, um, uh, you know, whether or not they are um, having a sustainable impact. Or uh, 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 so to make it easier for users and investors to understand the sort of the green credentials of any fund. Um, the FCA said due to the weight of market feedback they've had so very very large amounts of feedback um they're going to take longer they need longer to to work through that feedback and, and come up with final rules uh, and somewhat actually slightly more dramatically around investment advice specifically the consultation that took place around streamlined advice um and uh the fca basically said there's been lots and lots of market feedback we need to go away think about this and probably come up with something different on my understanding there is a lot of the feedback has been that um it, it's a good idea but it, it's still so narrow that uh, this this gateway for streamlined advice that well, probably nobody's <laughs> nobody's going to bother using it here from a from a firm point of view then so um there's a bit of a rethink going on there um uh and i guess the final investment firm related thing i'll throw out is that um 
the terms of reference have been has been issued for the FCA's market study on wholesale market data. So this is the competition um, around the provision of market data to uh, you know any investment manager or, or broker, etc., spends an awful lot of money on market data in order to in order to facilitate their trading activity. Um, and there are obviously some very big players charging large, large amounts of money there, and this is going to going to look at how competitive that marketplace is, um, which um, is something that the industry, so the, the the firms that are paying out all this money, are being uh, are being quite keen get to, uh, the FCA for the FCA to take a take a look at at some at some for some time. So I imagine I imagine the industry will cooperate fairly vigorously with that market study. Um, uh, so those, yeah. So, so there's a few, a few things around investment firms. Um, what's, what's been happening? Mark Stewart has um, has left the organisation as the long-time enforcement director. So he's left the FCA. Well, what are they, what are they doing in 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 his place? So yes, he's receiving in many ways the ultimate compliment of being replaced with two people. Uh, so there will be two enforcement directors now at the FCA. Uh, the FCA say that this reflects the vital role that enforcement work plays in delivering its three-year strategy. Uh, they've highlighted a need to conduct to reduce the growth in financial crime. Uh, they've highlighted the uh, higher standards of the consumer duty, which, of course, David, at the top of the podcast, you mentioned that from day one, there's going to be an enforcement budget for this. Uh, combined with the increased headcount in the enforcement and market oversight division more generally that was included in the FCA business plan and now having two directors I think we can safely assume there's an overall message being given here of expect more enforcement activity. Um, These two individuals so there's Therese Chambers who's been at the FCA for 20 years so she's got a very extensive obviously regulatory background uh, and also Steve Smart, who joins from the National Crime Agency uh, and also has a background in a banking groups, intelligence and investigations department. So from that financial crime angle, interesting that in addition to Therese with a perhaps more traditional regulatory background, we've also now got Steve Smart, ex-MCA, more used to dealing with what you might term proper criminals, <laughs> making no comment about any specific <laughs> firms or sectors. <laughs> Yes, uh, yes, it does. Uh, it's very hard to read this in any other way, particularly as you say, with the FCA business plan talking about spending more money on enforcement and, and financial crime enforcement in particular. That uh, that uh, um, there isn't going to be an uptick in activity there. We've we've talked we've talked a lot about you know our, some of the fines over the last year or so. It's been a steady stream, and, and clearly a lot of that, a lot of those fines relate to things that happened some time ago because that's how long it takes to get an enforcement case through. But um, yeah, there's. Uh, I think I think we can expect more sort of headline grabbing uh, enforcement cases um, uh, in, in the future, particularly around financial crime. Um, okay, I think we're going to wrap it up there. I think I think um, we've probably all got chocolate to eat um, if we haven't already overdosed on, on that for this Easter. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us, and uh, I look forward to welcoming you back in a month's time. And if you are um, have a few minutes on your on your hands, then I suggest you um, also listen to our podcast on the FCA's business plan, which uh, goes into a bit more detail there. Um, But with that, Ben, thank you very much. Thank you. See you next month.